Welcome to the OA Light a Candle Meeting Podcast. Visit our website at oalaig.org where you will find several speaker feeds with over 800 speaker files, forms for ordering CDs for these speakers, and a place to donate to keep this special service active. The opinions expressed on the Light a Candle podcast are those of individual OA members and do not represent OA as a whole. I would now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Cloda. Hi, everyone. I'm Cloda. Very proudly, a recovering bulimic, overeater, and undereater. I'm so starstruck right now. I I have listened to this meeting for since I you know almost since I walked in ten and a half years ago, and I've never been here. So I'm like, I just can't believe like hearing that person's voice I won't say and you know it's just like I can't I have like fellows here I, I got abstinent and came into program in New York so like people who were there when I was groveling and desperate when I first walked in and witnessed me just not knowing what to do but fortunately with the gift of desperation um, it's just it's so touching and then of course so many more because I moved here almost three years ago, bonds and friends that I've made over this time, but I, uh, so I'm nervous, I'm nervous, I listen to this podcast religiously, so, um, I am such a miracle of this program, I can't even believe I, you know, it's been ten and a half years since I've thrown up my food, and, um, you know, I've really given it a little thought since I knew I was going to speak, and, um, one of the things that I really, that popped out to me this week is that I've always thought I have to work harder than anyone else. So that means if I'm going to be a normal healthy weight, that means I simply should just not eat and um, or undereat, and then eventually, you know, I found starving. So I really feel kind of struck today that I get to eat three meals a day and sometimes my snacks and it's completely imperfect but that I get to never be hungry and how I punished myself with starvation I mean I was even telling one of my friends this week that I was a very competitive athlete in college and I if I finished a tennis match after four o'clock which was my cutoff time for eating there was no dinner I was starving to death, and my mom, who when I was in junior tennis, would take me to tournaments. Like somehow she wasn't eating either. Like I couldn't stand watching her eat. So she—I don't know how she put up with that. I'm in another program for my control issues. But um, anyway, simultaneously, though starving, and um, of course binging and purging are a big part of my story and my bottom. Um, overeating, grazing. Um, stealing food, chewing and spitting, opening packages in grocery stores, and just knowing I couldn't, I couldn't have it in my house, so I'll just eat a little bit there and leave it there. Um, it's all part of my story. I've, I'm, I'm just all sides of the spectrum. So just to, to go over my bottom, I'd wake up, body check, feel my abs, my ribs, probably tell myself I'm fat, then ask myself, was that real, that nightmare of binging and purging all day, the day before? 
do I really do that? Then I'd go into shame and demoralization and then journal and pray and pray that I would have the ability to just eat lettuce so that I would not throw up my food. Like, I thought the only problem was I just need to figure out how to stay skinny and the small little problem of throwing up my food. I could just finish that up. But it was really, you know, then coffee, then jog six miles, then go to work, which was teaching tennis, then get frustrated with the inconvenience of being hungry. And then, okay, I'm going to go to lunch, and I promise myself I'm just going to have that piece of broccoli. And, of course, the physical hunger would and also just putting anything in my mouth was a trigger at that point being so hungry um, that I would just eat more and then I really thought again like I have to work harder than everybody else I'm not supposed to have that amount of protein or that amount of this so I'd eat the normal amount and then I just want so much more and it was just it would start in on the carbs and the sugar and then it was just thousands and thousands of calories for the rest of the day and yeah and it was then throwing up and figuring out how to get rid of it for the rest of the day into bags into cups into garbage cans I mean I remember when I was first getting abstinent just really noticing all the garbage cans that I used to just think nobody was looking I was like wow like in public like public you know and like that corner of you know 86th street and um and broadway it was very close to where i found my first meeting um and got abstinent so they're both <laughs> um so anyway i've since learned that that state of deprivation leaves me completely powerless and even more uh, desperately fantasizing about binging. But once I'd found binging and purging, it was like that was not my story as a teenager. It was like when I first came into the rooms, so one of the things that really hit me was if you don't arrest it, it progresses. And I remember just like, wow, it can't get any worse. It just can't get any worse than what I already do. But the the purging really, you know, I have since discovered in step work was really about, I just don't want to have the consequences. I don't want to have to, I, I'm in, in so many areas of my life, I just don't want the consequences for my actions. I really just want to be a good girl all the time, so I'm never, quote unquote, punished. You know, I had a real, um, I, the, my idea of God was, was very punishing, and so it's not unusual or surprising that my, um, I was so punishing to myself. Um, so, I am also now through, you know, looking at that very conscientious about a time frame for when I eat my meals today. Like even today, I did bring my daughter to a 12 o'clock soccer game. And I wasn't really hungry, but I knew that when we were leaving, actually, my, my lunch is usually from 11 to 1. My breakfast is, up, anyway, so I wasn't hungry. I totally forgot it. Getting my kids their, their lunches and um getting all the stuff ready for the soccer game and we're going out the door we're just about to be late and I realized by the time this finishes it's going to be one it's past my lunchtime and then we're going to Target and got this and that and I was like guys hold on I just gotta get part of my lunch and I ate part of my lunch and we were there on time but it's like I, I still constantly forget 
to nourish myself and that I need to nourish myself. And there were many years in program where I still would be like, oh, yeah, I don't need it. I won't even be hungry. I'm sure I won't be hungry. I'm not hungry now. And just all of a sudden be shocked that I'm hungry. Um, So then, yeah, like I said, oh, I started out with bulimia with um, laxative tea in uh, high school. In fact, I was also really obsessed with menus. I'm sure nobody else. <laughs> um, and my sister was always like, we'd go, we, we'd go to Ireland. And like, I did not want to look at anything except menus. We'd stop at every, she's like, enough with the menus. And um, I remember I went to my very first OA meeting in high school. Like, I was in a lot of pain with overeating. I was voted most biggest eater in my class. I didn't have a weight issue then, but I was in pain with it, and I was by far from my bottom, far from it, but I, I didn't identify at that point. I'm really grateful for my bottom. You know, I really, I first came into the rooms, said my name was Chloe, nobody was going to really know my name, it's very different, and really, I I didn't think I was going to tell anybody what I actually did. I, I, uh, I had... A therapist who I told I was binging and really out of control with food, and, and a therapist before that who, who I started with right when I started throwing up, and he said, just whatever you do, don't tell your boyfriend, who is my current husband. And um, but that that shame and the just you know it'll just stop it's a teenage disease is what this guy said and I was like it'll stop and I was going to him weekly like this is getting out of hand it's getting worse you know and not I just didn't I didn't realize how much is involved in recovering from such a um, devastating disease uh so I worked closely with my sponsors, and I have a step sponsor and a food sponsor, as well as a sponsor in another fellowship. Um, so I just wanted to share about the night before my la- my first meeting. Um, yeah, like I said, like I tried, I tried hypnosis, I tried yoga therapy, I tried meditation, I, the morning pages, lots of spiritual groups. It wasn't like I wasn't, you know, we talk about this God-sized hole, but it wasn't like I wasn't seeking God. In fact, I really always um, was kind of put on a pedestal in my family for being spiritual and helping friends being spiritual. And some of the spiritual groups I remember I'd go to and I'd be like, I don't feel like, tonight I don't feel like binging and purging. Isn't that interesting? And it would start all over again very quickly. It wasn't lasting because I didn't, I didn't, A, tell the truth about what was going on. It was my big secret. I really thought I was going to go to my grave with. And I didn't have you guys. I really, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's, it's um, how much I rely on this WE program is it's, it's such a gift. Like I, like I said, this is this is the best thing that ever happened to me. I, I, I uh, it's the hardest thing I have ever done. Um, I was looking at getting abstinent and how hard it was at the beginning. Um, so that night before, yeah, I, I just begged God to please help me stop, stop, please help me stop. And um, then that therap- the other therapist recommended OA. He had been recommending OA for quite some time, and I said, "I'm going to go tomorrow. I'm just not. I'm just going to go to OA tomorrow." And um, it was a Tuesday, 3:30 meeting. 
Upper West Side. Um, and I have not thrown up my food since that day. And at that meeting, people were so candidly sharing and um, with such substance that I was compelled but also terrified. <clears throat> I couldn't believe I heard people openly talking about being bulimic. I really thought I was the only one who did what I did. I actually had nightmares nightly that I was deceiving everyone. I really thought I was like a murderer. And um, I was so high-functioning, or I thought I was so high-functioning. You know, I existed in the world looking quite normal, and yet I was obsessed with starving and exercising and binging, and my life revolved around that. But interestingly, though, I have filled my days now with recovery and much higher level of functioning. Like, it's much higher, <laughs> and it's a lot less work. I mean, my, my day was exhausting because of what I was doing with my food and my body, and now there's so much more prayer and reliance on a higher power and praying for what's the next right action, and then a lot of the time the next right action is to breathe. Stop running around. Stop trying to seek status. Stop trying to, trying to, trying to strive. You know, it's a lot more about stillness, and many more things happen to come my way. Um, someone came up to me after that first meeting, and if they hadn't come up to me and said, here, you're supposed to take numbers. Like, <laughs> I don't know if I would have gotten abstinent that night, and I don't know how long it would have taken me. But she took my hand, and she said, you can do this tonight. Take my hand take these phone numbers, and I, I didn't see her too many times throughout my recovery, but I, you know, I cry every time I see her because it was such a gift. I would never have taken phone numbers or called anybody that night, and I called, and I called like several people, and nobody answered, and eventually this woman called, who I later found out was not abstinent, but she, she, she revealed to me that she was bulimic. I didn't tell her I was bulimic. And I was like, I don't even know what to do. I have no idea what a meal is. What am I permitted to eat? How, you know, she said, well, let's start with red light, green light, yellow light foods. And I was like, everything, everything's a red light. <laughs> and she's like, can you eat an apple? I was like, no, it's too much sugar. So, like, the rules, there were just so many rules. A big part of my recovery now is trying to um, be honest about these rules that, that are that keep me in bondage, you know. Um, so let's see. Um, I heard about 90 meetings in 90 days, and it was so hard for me at the beginning because I still didn't tell people for like five days that I was bulimic. That I finally was just like, This is amazing, you guys. I'm not throwing up my food. <laughs> and they're like, Oh, you're bulimic. <laughs> and I was like, This is amazing that I'm actually not throwing up my food. And it was because I was I was definitely overwhelmed with the amount of things that they recommend for us to do, all these tools and steps and reading and praying and meditating. Like, it's a lot when, when, when I wasn't used to doing that. And yet I really feel like um, if I didn't have those assignments, right, that is filling me up with God. When, you know, this God-sized hole that I was trying to fill up with my obsession and my addiction, like that is those acting my way into right, into right thinking. I couldn't think my way out. I couldn't just tell myself, okay, just for today, I'm not going to throw up. It would be all day thinking, don't throw up, don't throw up, don't throw up. I would just be upset, just as obsessed, and I really needed the spiritual sustenance and all the tools. I made three calls. I got a sponsor right away. I, um, 
I um, started working the steps. I just started telling the truth. And, you know, still to this day, I really feel like rigorous honesty is what keeps me recovering. It's not how perfectly I'm abstinent. It's not how perfectly I eat or how... Um, or how, you know, I, I, I always feel like it's just not enough. And so rigorous honesty coming in and saying this is what happened and telling the truth keeps me recovering. Um, yeah, so I want to just go into the imperfections and the slogans that have helped me. My, my abstinence is that I don't throw up my food, and yet I... I feel like the two slogans that have really helped me the most are progress, not perfection, and keep coming back. I feel like the only thing I've really done perfectly is imperfection, <laughs> and, um, and I just keep coming back. I've never stopped coming back. As much as I really find it inconvenient still, very most of the time, <laughs> um, for the first four years in program, I, was, I identified sugar and white flour as my, my red light food, so I didn't eat sugar and white flour, and yet I was um, chewing and spitting. So one of my sponsors, I, tr- I was, you know, honest about it. I don't be honest about it in meetings, and they were my sponsors would say, "You're still abstinent. This is your abstinence is you don't throw up your food. It's a hell of a lot better than throwing up." I was like, "Yeah, but it's four years in, and I'm still doing this, and I don't want to do this." And so um, she, she, yeah, she said, "Clodagh." It seems like you want it, but you don't want to allow yourself it. And I wonder if you want to open up your, you know, food plan, which is greens and protein, to maybe invite that in, maybe a little sugar and white flour, like you're allowed to have it. And um, I was really afraid of throwing up. Like, I was really like, no. I was afraid that I'd gain weight. I was afraid that I'd be binging. I was afraid that I'd lose control. I was afraid with, that I'd lose the controls that I had, that this isn't, you know, um, an easy thing. I could just stay away from it and not entertain it. But the reality is, you know, she's, I remember so well, she said, Clota, we do this one day at a time. I'm with you. I am with you right now. And if tomorrow it feels like, yeah, I'm out of control with sugar, you're going to tell me. And We'll work on this together, and we'll bring higher power in, and one day at a time you can modify it. We just be honest. So that was actually a major turning point for me because the chewing and spitting gradually decreased and decreased and decreased. And um, for me, it's, um, it's so much about, you know, like even noticing how little faith I had in a power greater than myself. It started when I first got abstinent from throwing up, you know, just having to sit and tolerate experiencing food digest. And every single bit of food that I put into my body was, was I threw up. So the, having to, I had to learn what faith was, even though I thought I was already deeply spiritual, like really relying on a power greater than myself when I was so uncomfortable and physically... You know, I, it did not take me very much to eat to feel very uncomfortable because nothing stayed down at the point that I had gotten to. And so, um, anyway, so, yeah, I started making a lot of things that were off limits 
on the table, and truthfully, they're not, they're not really an issue. They, they never were an issue at that time. I mean, you know, so I had four years at that point of not throwing up, and so one of my sponsors before that had said, you, you kind of need, it's, it's a progressive disease, it's a progressive recovery. We, we come in here, we, we, have, we don't just get it overnight, and I don't think I, I could have um, been kind enough to myself to um, just, let, let's put it this way, my, my, my definition of abstinence has been not throwing up my food, but the chewing and spitting has been a part of my abstinence and learning, like, what is progress, what is not, what is imperfection, and um, I was, I had to really learn how to be relying on a power greater than myself, and big part of that also is my sponsors, a lot of fellows saying, pick up the phone. Pick up the phone when you want to do it, when you want to spit it out. Pick up the phone. And that is a big deterrent because I don't want to tell somebody I want to do that. Um, so, uh, yeah, and, and, and then, of course, as one of my sponsors said, I'm as sick as my secrets very early into recovery. My sponsor told me to, do, to tell my, my then-boyfriend what I was doing and what I was recovering from. And, um, yeah, he's been right there with me all along and... Um, brought us closer and um, so what it's like today I do have a happy marriage with that boyfriend and I work we both work recovery together as well as and we also get outside help for our marriage and um, in fact we apply the traditions to our marriage they say the steps we don't are so we don't commit suicide the traditions are so we don't commit homicide <laughs> um, and I really feel like Praying for the common welfare of our group, our family, has helped me enormously. I really didn't want to move from New York, but when I continued praying for the common welfare of our group, I really saw that it was, it was better for our group. And, and then I realized, oh, I'm part of that group. So that must mean that's, that's my best common good. Um, I have, we have two delicious kids. As a result of step three, and they're both now, one is nine and five. Um, no, one is nine and the other is five. Um, I really didn't want to bring a child into my life. I had always rejected the idea of ever having children until I worked step three. And again, um, those letters to and from God in step three that my, my dear sponsor, who might be listening, she's back in New York, um, made me realize it's anorexic thinking. Um, and maybe I could. Maybe I could have more in my life and expand my life and I was also terrified of bringing a kid in to um, just the responsibility and realizing oh a God my uh, there's a higher power from these kids too I'm, I'm like a vessel to bring these kids in and care for them but what happens to these kids thank God I have a program to rely on to let their higher power take care of them um, I have a, I've had a lot of great jobs, and I do a lot of service, and I have amazing, generous, and loving sponsors, one to whom I turn, turn over my food daily, and another to whom I turn over my step work, fabulous, courageous sponsees, um, one here tonight, and three others listening on the podcast. Um, so I try to pick up the phone and or call people back right away. 
and I turn over my food every day, and I pray and meditate, and I have really benefited from the help of a nutritionist as a um, as a suggestion from a sponsor, and and did that also through the pregnancy. I had to change it quite a bit, um, so I don't do any of it perfectly, and the. Um, and yet I take it very seriously. If chewing and spitting has happened, I, 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 the first thing I want to do is beat up on myself. And, like, in January and February, I was really, really sick with the flu that turned into a sinus and ear and nose and throat and respiratory infection, and it just wouldn't end. And they gave me 10 days of steroids. And then um, 20 three days of antibiotics and they wanted to give me another eight and I had a really bad, like you're supposed to eat more carbohydrates with the antibiotics and I was just like, I got very sick because I didn't eat enough and I was like um, sweating and like dry heaving and then I realized I needed to eat more and so I chewed and spit a little bit of a protein bar and then I was like, oh my God. I'm just not fit for this program. I shouldn't come in. I, I, I know i got to just tell myself, and I just need to get myself to the meetings. But I couldn't get to meetings because I didn't want to expose anybody to this terrible flu that was going around. And it was like a sponsee who called me and was like, you're amazing. <laughs> you're, you're, your recovery is amazing. And you're, you're okay. You're going to get through this. Oh, thank you. Um, and I, so I really feel like even though we, we try to help our sponsees, it's like they keep me connected, too, in a way that, I mean, God, the, the heroism and courage I see in my sponsees is like it's such a gift. It's such a gift. Um, uh, so, um, yeah, so the point is if I had started over for each time I chewed and spit, I probably wouldn't be here today. Like what's going to get me, what's going to get my bum into the meetings? What's going to keep me abstinent today? Tell the truth. Get to a meeting and be kind to myself. Um, I think um, that might be close to, that might be close to all I really have to say. Let's see. Yeah, sure. Okay. Yeah, that's it. Any questions? Mm-hmm. Thank you so much. What does your practice of step 11 look like on a daily basis? Um, okay. What does my practice of step 11 look like on a daily basis? Well, the first thing I do before I step my feet out of bed, and it really has been since day one, is repeat the first three steps. And then I have this really lovely, luxurious sheepskin rug, and I drop onto this lovely meditation pillow. Sometimes it's five minutes, sometimes it's 20. And I gather my kids around, and we get this really yummy time together, and I pray to be abstinent, and I don't take, um, like, it's just not rote. It's really praying to be abstinent just for today. It is so clear how much I depend on this program today. And I know for a fact that if I didn't, um, if I'm not a member of, of Overeaters Anonymous, I could easily throw up my food tomorrow. So I, I pray, and I'm, but I meditate. I mean, I, I meditate sometimes throughout the day, and I, I am praying all day. And I often find prayer through 
I find it helpful to pray with other people, really pray with other people, just to speak it out loud, and this is what I need, and pray to give it over to God. Yeah, thanks. Thank you so much. Um, could you talk a little bit about some of the amends you made and, and anything that like really changed the course of your recovery and that kind of stuff? Yeah. My... Um, Step sponsor who lives in Chicago. Oh, sorry. She wants to know about some of the amends I made and if there were turning points in my recovery. Um, my my step sponsor in Chicago suggested because for the, all the grocery stores from from my stool and um, she recommended don't making a donation because it would it would have been impossible impossible for me to go to all of the different grocery stores. Um, so she recommended making a donation to, like, a, I think it was, um, you know, a, a place, a homeless shelter that didn't have enough food, food. It was something about hunger. I'm not remembering quite what that one was. And then another one was, well, an amends I made, I, I was, um, I'll be careful not to break anonymity, but there was a person in my life who had relapsed from... Um, alcoholism and I just ripped into him I just ripped into him and shamed him and I just felt terrible that I had done that certainly I I know for me if nobody knew I threw up my food no I kept it such a concealed secret so if somebody had found out and then shamed me I, I I mean like finally when I got into program realized how damaging and hurtful and how that's just not on my side of the street so it was very helpful for me. I, and so my sponsor recommended I write him a note, um, a letter. And I don't know how satisfying it was, but she said it was enough. Like, he, he didn't really mention too much about it. Um, I think he had not yet at the time gotten sober. He, and so maybe that's why she wanted me to do it that way instead of it being a manipulation to get him sober. But um, he has now since gotten sober, which is you know, beautiful part of the story. Not always. Thank you so much. Um, I was wondering if, like, kind of a piggyback on the first question, you could talk about kind of what your experience of your higher power is like, and then in those moments of imperfection, how you use that connection to get through. Thank you. Okay. Um, what is my experience of my higher power? And during those moments of imperfection, how do I use my higher power? Um, to get through them. Well, I really do. It's taken me a long time to realize how much this is a we program and how much I want to keep my secrets to myself. But the quicker I can tell the truth and pick up the phone and call a sponsor or a sponsee and say, this is what just happened, is, for me, relying on a power greater than myself. And we often pray. But I often do use the tool of physically dropping to my knees. Um... My experience of my higher power is is just is the opposite of punishment. You know, it's like that really for me is perpetuating the disease because my disease wants to just keep me in demoralization. And so, how what is the kindest action I could take to myself? What do you really need right now, Cloda? You know, um, and so it is. Yeah, sometimes sometimes it's really just sitting down and breathing and remembering that there's a power looking after me and um, 
a lot of the time it's picking up the phone and connecting with another person and I feel like they can let their higher powers speak through them and I feel connection. Yeah. yeah. What's the difference or how you utilize your food sponsor and your staff? Yeah, you know, it has become a conflict at times. A good question. Yes. Um, what's the difference between how I utilize my food sponsor and my step sponsor? I, I have had, well, see, the thing is, when I was about three years into the program, the sponsor I originally had, she left program. And I was still turning over my food to her and using her as a sponsor, which was really convenient for me because she wouldn't really hold me accountable. Mm -hmm. And I kind of liked that I never heard back from her, but then somebody <laughs> said, <laughs> then somebody said to me, you actually deserve more than that. You know that, Cloda. And I really, it was more that I didn't think I deserved more. And I was afraid to change it. Like, what if I started throwing up my food if I changed something? And so... Um, then that woman, who didn't have share my history, said, I'd be happy to be your interim sponsor. And because we didn't, she didn't share my history, it felt like it didn't quite work, but it was great for how much more nourishment it gave me and step work and structure and feedback, period. And so then from there, I found another sponsor who said, because she's bulimic and anorexic, and we both also came into the rooms almost at the same time, and we're very good friends. She said, I'd be happy to be your interim sponsor. And, and she said, I just don't really have the time to be your step sponsor. So I, I reach out to my, my food sponsor from when I was three um, till, you know, an hour ago, <laughs> and she's been there. And so it really works because I turn over a lot more than my food to her on a daily basis. And then through the years, I've had different people as a step sponsor. But the step sponsors sometimes find it frustrating that they don't see the whole picture, and they're like, oh, you said you chewed and spit, but I don't see what's leading up to that, or can we get the whole picture here? So it has become a conflict, and I've really tried to work it out um, differently. Um, but for today, it, this is, that's how I do it. I still, yeah, work over this, and I have a, st a step sponsor for another program, too. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so you and then you. Um, are there times still where you use food to soothe yourself? Like, it's not a binge, it's not a purge, but you're still soothing with food, and you're conscious of it, and if there are, what do you do for that? Okay, are there times when I still use food to soothe myself, and, and what do I do? Um, I think probably um, when I let myself get overly hungry is one of the biggest triggers. When food becomes much more fantasy, you know, much more of a fantasy. But when I, I mean, I, my my uh, step sponsor said, like, listen, we eat. This is our time frame, no matter what, because I want to convince myself I'm not hungry. So it's really helped me to maintain the structure of eating my meals, because I the food does not call to me when I'm not hungry when I nourish myself but I love I have delicious food I love the food I eat it's much broader now and it's a lot of prayer with the food too so yeah sorry yeah, thank you.